Hey, Cricket customers, Max with ads is included with your Cricket $60 unlimited plan at no additional cost. Nice! Max is the streaming platform where you can watch Scoob, Meg 2 The Trench, The Nightmare on Elm Street Collection, and so much more. Remember me. Just log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. We've never seen this before. Max, the one to watch for a good scream with Cricket. Yeah! Phone plan, streams, and standard definition. Programming subject to change. Fees, terms, and restrictions apply. See cricketwireless.com for details. Welcome to the Cop Key Ride Home for Monday, February 15th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Scientists in Antarctica accidentally discovered animal life beneath an ice shelf half a mile deep. An app that lets you tune into live radio stations from all over the world. A new study that challenges the long-held theory about the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. And a snarky Valentine's tradition at the El Paso Zoo. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. In 2016, a team of scientists in Antarctica set out to study the history of the Filchner-Ron ice shelf by extracting seafloor sediment from the floating shelf, sediment that was located beneath ice half a mile thick. When they piped through the ice using 20,000 liters of hot water to do so, the instrument they sent down to collect the sediment came back empty. They tried it twice more and still nothing. Fortunately, they also attached a GoPro camera, and when they reviewed the footage, they found something surprising. Or really two surprising things. The first was that in the middle of this vast seafloor that held the sediment they were after was a boulder. Now, it's not completely unheard of for a boulder to be on the seafloor, but it's certainly not what makes up the majority of the seafloor, so research lead geologist James Smith thought it was pretty unlucky that he had picked the exact wrong place to drill. The instrument wasn't picking up sediment samples because each time they dropped it down, it just thunked onto the boulder instead of the sediment-rich seafloor. But the bigger surprise came when they studied the GoPro footage of the boulder. Covering it were various types of sea creatures, including, quoting Wired, likely a layer of bacteria known as a microbial mat, an alien-like sponge and other stalked animals dangled from the rock while stouter, cylindrical sponges hugged the surface. The rock was also lined with wispy filaments, perhaps a component of the bacterial mats, or perhaps a peculiar animal known as a hydroid, end quote. Hugh Griffiths, a biologist at the British Antarctic Survey who was brought in once the creatures were discovered, described it as, quote, like finding a bit of the rainforest in the middle of the Sahara, end quote. Now, apart from this not being what the scientists were looking for, finding life on this boulder was completely unexpected for a host of reasons. Quoting again, the rock Smith had accidentally discovered is 160 miles from daylight, that is, the nearest edge of the shelf where ice ends and the open ocean begins. It's hundreds of miles from the nearest location that might be a source of food, a spot that would have enough sunlight to fuel an ecosystem and be in the right position relative to the rock for known currents to supply these creatures with sustenance. We can say for certain that these animals are living in total darkness. Which is fine, plenty of deep-sea critters do the same, but for animals that live Cecil, read stuck in place, existences on the deep seafloor must rely on a fairly steady supply of food in the form of marine snow. End quote. 
Wired goes on to explain that this marine snow is basically when a sea creature dies, they decompose and other creatures feed off the particles. This works really well in productive waters with lots of different animals at various levels of the food chain, but the creatures on that boulder don't live in productive waters like that. Their home is half a mile beneath solid ice. So how are these sedentary sea creatures getting their sustenance? Quoting again, the researchers think it's likely that the drift of this marine snow has been flipped on its side so that the food source is moving horizontally instead of vertically. Looking at charts of currents near the drill site, the researchers determined that there are productive regions between 390 and 930 miles away. It may not be much, but it's possible that enough organic material is riding these currents hundreds of miles to feed these creatures. That's an extraordinary distance, given that in the deepest part of the ocean, the Challenger Deep near Guam, marine snow produced at the surface has to fall seven miles down to reach the seafloor. To reach the animals on this Antarctic rock, food would have to travel as much as 133 times that distance, and it would have to do so by floating sideways. End quote. Still, stranger things have happened under the sea. General studies on the currents in Antarctica back up this theory, but diets of these particular creatures on the boulder have yet to be studied. Not much at all about the creatures has been studied yet because the team hasn't collected specimens, so there are a ton of questions. Like, if there are more creatures nearby, and how these ones got to this boulder. Wired notes that some sponges are known to live for thousands of years, so perhaps this is some kind of ancient ecosystem. An earther says that this is, quote, the first ever record of a community of animals living on a hard surface underneath an ice shelf. But just because it's the first discovered, is it really as rare as we think? Quoting Wired again, These floating ice shelves stretch for 560,000 square miles, yet through previous boreholes, scientists have only explored an area underneath them equal to the size of a tennis court. So it may well be that they're out there in numbers, and we just haven't found them yet. End quote. And unfortunately, as the study published Monday in the journal Frontiers in Marine Science notes, as the planet warms, our window for discovering these worlds beneath the ice is quickly closing. We could lose all of these sea creatures and any opportunity to learn about how they got there. So here's a cool site that's making the rounds again today. It's called Radio Garden. It's kind of similar to the radio site with five O's that I've mentioned here previously, which allows you to listen to music from anywhere and any time in the world, or at least going back to the early 20th century. Radio Garden differs from radio in that it's actually piping into local radio stations from around the world. Each town you click on, you're given an automatic station, but you can also click to explore other stations in the area. Radio, however, is a fully curated experience that technically uses playlists put together by audiophiles to create a radio-like experience from any era or nation that you want, but it's not real radio. Radio Garden is the real radio live now. You're greeted by a globe of the world speckled with green dots, each one representing a local radio station. Simply click on a green dot and start listening. There are thousands of radio stations across the world to choose from, and if you know of one that's not included, you're welcome to submit it to Radio Garden, the main requirement being that it's an official station accessible online in a 24-7 stream. 
Started in 2016 by a team in Amsterdam, originally as an exhibit at the Institute for Sound and Vision, Radio Garden was eventually turned into an independent project and company. It's been redesigned for a mobile-first experience with apps for iOS and Android, and I definitely recommend visiting on mobile because trying to use it on desktop really got my computer huffing and puffing. Having recently rewatched the 2009 British film Pirate Radio, I really appreciate what Radio Garden had to say as their sort of values statement. Quote, By bringing distant voices close, radio connects people and places. From its very beginning, radio signals have crossed borders. Radio makers and listeners have imagined both connecting with distant cultures as well as reconnecting with people from home, from thousands of miles away. End quote. Which is a great point. This is a very cool way to listen to music from your hometown or home nation if you're not currently living there. And it's just fun to explore with. Uh, People on Twitter have been making some cool discoveries, like a preponderance of American country music in Scotland, and so much 80s music in Australia that one person joked they're worried it's actually still the 1980s down there. All around, pretty fun. Link in the show notes. A new study published today in the journal Scientific Reports proposes a new theory on the impactor that caused the Chicxulub crater, aka the impactor that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs and nearly three quarters of the plant and animal species on Earth 66 million years ago. Theories have generally coalesced around the impactor being an asteroid, a rocky formation originating from the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. However, this new study makes the case that the impactor was in fact a comet from the Oort cloud at the edge of the solar system. This study comes from Harvard astrophysics undergrad Amir Siraj and Harvard science professor Avi Loeb. A recent guest on a bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home discussing his theory of the extraterrestrial origins of the interstellar object Oumuamua. Siraj and Loeb used statistical analysis and gravitational simulations to show that more long-period comets come from the Oort cloud than previously understood, which increases the long-period comet's chances of hitting Earth by a factor of 10. Quoting New York Times, When long-period comets from the outer reaches of the solar system approach the sun, they can be torn asunder by the star's immense tidal forces. The resulting shards may have been catapulted across Earth's orbit, providing a satisfactory explanation for the origin of the impactor that killed the dinosaurs. To this day, the origin of the Chicxulub impactor remains an open question, said Siraj. His model, he said, examines this special population of comets that could have produced enough shards of the right size, at the right rate, and on the right trajectories to threaten Earth in a way that's consistent with current observational constraints. End quote. And from Science Daily, quote, Loeb and Siraj's hypothesis might also explain the makeup of many of these impactors. Our hypothesis predicts that other Chicxulub-sized craters on Earth are more likely to correspond to an impactor with a primitive carbonaceous chondrite composition than expected from the conventional main belt asteroids, the researchers wrote in the paper. This is important because a popular theory on the origin of Chicxulub claims the impactor is a fragment of a much larger asteroid that came from the main belt, which is an asteroid population between the orbit of Jupiter and Mars. Only about a tenth of all main belt asteroids have a composition of carbonaceous chondrite, while it's assumed most long-period comets have it. Evidence found at the Chicxulub crater and other similar craters suggests they had carbonaceous chondrite. End quote. But there has been pushback on this study, quoting again from the New York Times. 
Natalia Artemieva, a senior scientist at the Planetary Science Institute in Tucson, Arizona, dismissed this cometary origin hypothesis. The four-mile-wide comet fragments envisioned by the study would have been too small to create the Chicxulub crater, she said. She noted the telltale spike of iridium that was deposited in the aftermath of the impact and that is visible in geological strata all around the world. The projectile size should be consistent not only with the crater size, but also with the global amount of iridium, Dr. Artemieva explained in an email. This is certainly the case in the standard stony asteroid scenario, but not for a tiny cometary impact. Bill Botke, a planetary scientist at the Southwest Research Institute, raised multiple concerns with the study. For instance, he said its model overestimates how frequently long-period comets would be pulled apart by the sun and how many dangerous fragments such encounters would produce. End quote. Though Dr. Botke does cop that the asteroid explanation leaves many unresolved questions, and a comet could be an interesting explanation, he just doesn't see the evidence in this case. That said, there are other scientists putting forward a cometary proposal as well. Mukul Sharma of Dartmouth College and Jason Moore of the University of New Mexico made an argument that the extinction event was caused by a comet based on geochemical and geophysical evidence back in 2013. And having two independent studies from two different angles come to a similar conclusion is pretty interesting if, as Dr. Moore notes, the newest study withstands, quote, the scrutiny of the community as a whole, end quote. Siraj and Loeb, for their part, hope that future studies on craters, the Chicxulub and others, will help provide more insight towards their hypothesis. And ending with this from the Smithsonian, quote, If all of this has you a little nervous looking at the night sky, though, don't worry. The new model predicts that a comet or asteroid the size of the one that struck at the end of the Cretaceous is only going to strike Earth every 250 to 730 million years or so. What happened 66 million years ago was a truly exceptional and rare event, underscored by the fact that it is the only mass extinction in the history of life on Earth to be caused by an impact rather than Earth-bound causes like intense volcanic activity. Most of the daughter rocks created by the Jupiter pinball machine just go sailing right on by. In fact, Suraj notes, the major short-term risks to the Earth still come from near-Earth asteroids, which are the focus of most planetary defense efforts. That's a small comfort in a big universe. End quote. I am so bummed that I didn't hear about this before last weekend so I could share it with you to participate in, but it's still a great enough story that I'm telling you anyways. Every Valentine's Day for the last few years, the El Paso Zoo has run a program called Quit Bugging Me, in which people are invited to name a cockroach after their ex, and then watch the zoo's meerkats chow down on the cockroaches on Facebook Live. Donations are requested to submit a name, but not required. Quoting the El Paso Times, Zookeepers will feed Madagascar hissing cockroaches to different zoo animals, such as meerkats, birds, and primates, throughout Valentine's Day weekend, hoping to give everyone a shot at closure, with a dash of pettiness, according to the zoo release. Donations collected will remain at the zoo for conservation efforts and to further the zoo's mission statement. And as a special incentive, El Paso Zoo director Joe Montesano will eat a cockroach for every $1,000 raised, as he did last year. End quote. 
And if the final tally this year was anything like last, director Montesano will have chowed down on quite a few cockroaches this weekend. In 2020, they received over 20,000 submissions of X's names, resulting in over $12,000 in donations. Montesano told the El Paso Times, quote, Insects are actually the perfect protein and have been consumed by humans since the beginning of time, and they are a special treat for our animal friends. The fact that you can assign a name of a spouse, boss, or really anything that is bugging you is just added cathartic release. And the zoo offers this note on animal welfare on their site, quote, Zoo animals are regularly given enrichment to keep them stimulated both mentally and physically. Madagascar hissing cockroaches are ethically frozen and given to insectivores as determined by our zoo veterinarian staff. Insects are a normal part of these animals' diets in captivity or the wild, and while in our care, we try to replicate this as much as possible. End quote. You can watch videos of the animals enjoying their cockroach treats on the zoo's Facebook page, and if you want to join in, just mark your calendar for early February next year, as this seems to be a tradition that will keep on going. Well, that is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird. I hope you all had a great weekend, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.